everybody to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, I'll be discussing the latest episode of Moon Knight called Asylum. A very interesting episode, by the way, and a very good episode of television in general. And I'll give you my final opinion on how I think this does or does not help the show leading into its finale, which is next week. We're just one week away from the finale of this season of television. If you're hearing this now, you're hearing my initial hot take of the episode. I've just watched it. But check back Thursday or Friday, depending on when I post my conversation with Nick, where we discuss this episode in much greater detail, and also do more talk about Better Call Saul, an excellent episode of Better Call Saul this weekend, also another show that we're covering week to week in this feed. So make sure if you're catching up on that show, make sure you listen to our episodes regarding that and regarding my conversation with Nick as well in the repost of this episode. So just check the description for a repost and you can jump ahead about half an hour to the conversation with Nick. Quick public service announcement. If you're catching up on Better Call Saul, the AMC app, unless you have AMC Plus, the AMC app only has the most recent episodes of Better Call Saul on there. So even if you're catching up currently on Netflix, the first five seasons of Saul are available. I know many, many people out there are binging that show. Set your DVRs and save those season six episodes because they will not be available in a few weeks. And the second half of season six doesn't come back until July. So that's when the show actually wraps up between July and August. And you want to have those DVR episodes if you plan to binge them all at the end. The AMC app does not have, will not have all of them available. And then you'll have to wait a whole other year, honestly, or more for it to all become available to binge on Netflix. So that's my word of advice for you regarding Saul. And I do hope you're watching that. Make sure you subscribe so you know when those episodes become available. And if you'd like to support our show, make sure you recommend us to friends and family who are also watching Moon Knight or Saul, or check our back catalog for episodes you might enjoy. If you're a music fan, there's a whole bunch of music content back there on some of the older episodes. Also check out the Succession coverage, the most successful series for this podcast, was our coverage of Severance, which just had an excellent finale just a couple weeks back, and people are still catching up on that. So if you haven't, make sure you do take advantage of that. Even if you do not have Apple TV currently... Target is still offering it for free for about three months. So make sure you claim that offer and catch up on other great Apple TV content. Ted Lasso, the documentary 1971, the year that music changed everything, which we covered here in this feed, speaking of music content. And we will also be covering in an upcoming episode, probably on Friday. There's just so much content out there. So many shows. We Own the City is something we'll definitely be covering here in this feed. Just started this week. Excellent show, which I'll be giving you a review of shortly. But expect to see a third episode this week, just delving into, speaking of Apple TV, Slow Horses wraps up this week, a show that I've just caught up on recently, and I do recommend, and I'll have a full review of that later in this week. And also in that episode, Shining Girls, also on Apple TV, will be starting this week, the new Elizabeth Moss TV series, which looks very curious and may appeal, honestly, may thematically tie in 
to Moon Knight. So do check back with us this weekend for the extended version of this episode with Nick, as well as that review roundup, which may have to continue for a few more weeks. We have that Doctor Strange sequel coming next week, which I will be reviewing next Friday and probably continuing to review other shows, maybe Shining Girls, Outer Range, which I've been watching, is wrapping up next week, and I'll be giving you a review of that show, plus episode two of We Own This City. So much content. I mean, it's overwhelming. Oh, and Ozark. Ozark is back. I'll probably be trying to watch a few episodes of that over the weekend, and I'll be discussing that with Sona in our Saul recap next week. So make sure you subscribe so you know when that becomes available. On to our recap. Mark, I didn't shoot you. Your mind is violently vacillating between sense and nonsense. Picture this, all right? Your brain is a pendulum swinging between a very difficult reality that you are my patient here at Putnam Medical Facility in Chicago, Illinois, and a reassuring fantasy that you've created on your own, that you're some kind of, I don't know, superhero. Right? You're doing everything and everything possible not to look within. You're not really a doctor. I, I feel real. I feel like a real doctor. You're not a doctor. Well, all right. <laughs> I'm not a real doctor. Okay, well, all right, all right, all right. Let's start with you. Let's try it your way. Retrace your steps. Tell me, tell me, how did you come to be here today? How did you get here? I took the bus. This episode of Moon Knight called Asylum begins inside of the asylum that we saw in the closing moments of last week's episode, The Tomb. And what a strange and interesting decision to have this episode so late in the season. If I'll be critical at all, and I'll just raise it here, a preview of my final statements here at the end, I'm not sure I would have waited this long to get to this episode. That all being said, this is a very solid episode of television in and of itself. It could almost be a bottle episode, minus some of the myth-building elements. But as we saw at the very end of last week, Mark has been shot multiple times, and we suspected he was dying, and now we get confirmation that he is indeed dying, or dead, according to Tuarit. Welcome, gentle traveler, uh, travelers, to the realm of the Juat. Juat, the Egyptian underworld. This is Tawerit, goddess uh -huh. of women and children, and she's guiding us through our journey to the afterlife. Wow. Okay. Right. So this... This is the afterlife? The afterlife? An afterlife, not the afterlife. You'd be surprised how many intersectional planes of untethered consciousness exist. Yeah. Like the ancestral plane. Oh, just gorgeous. Uh, anyway, I do actually have cards for all this, if you just wait. And, um, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, so, <laughs> um, because the Duarte's true nature is impossible for the human mind to comprehend, right. you may perceive this realm as something more easily recognizable to you. A psych ward's a first for me, but hey, we can roll with it, right? Um, why would we imagine this realm to be a psychiatric hospital? Because we're insane. Is Mark just insane in it? mental asylum or is this fantasy world that he's in real and strangely enough his fictional creation Stephen, this secondary persona is kind of his guide here because he's more familiar with the egyptian mythology that we find out was an obsession of his when he was younger Tuarit is here to guide them into the underworld 
And we find out that their fate is if their scales balance, which of course we've seen this motif of the balance scales on Harrow's arm. And this is how Amit judges people in the world. They make it to this golden field, this beautiful afterworld. If those scales do not balance, then they fall into this netherworld of sand and they become these frozen sand creatures who simply are there to pull even more people, more souls down into this netherworld. Not a great outcome for these unbalanced folks, unfortunately. We find a few interesting things here. Tuarit seems to be tying together these celestial planes into the broader Marvel mythology, if you want to read it that way. It's not essential to understand all this, by the way, which is to the show's credit. But you could theoretically see that this is also the afterlife that we've seen illustrated in some of the other shows, whether that be Black Panthers or even the Eternals and maybe even Thor's World of Gods. So once again, don't want to have to read too deeply into this, but it is interesting that they have created a mythology where, depending on your religious interpretation, you can have multiple perceptions of the afterlife, which then unites all these different mythologies. So in a pretty elegant way, I think. We start off in this kind of still very playful tone that we ended on last week, but things do start to get darker, and we do get to see Oscar Isaac really give a great performance here, and it really speaks to maybe the mistake the show has made in structuring itself as it has, where we haven't spent enough time one-on-one with these characters, especially when you have such great actors. Maybe a missed opportunity to not spend more time with Oscar Isaac structuring the show in the way that they have, and not maybe theoretically, my opinion once again, having put this episode earlier in this series, because here you really get to finally feel something for both Mark and for Stephen as well. Mark is clinging to this belief that maybe he's just insane. Maybe it's just the meds. He even comments on how good these meds must really be for him to be having this vision. And he actually starts to storm through the asylum, thinking he's going to run into Harrow again. Instead, he opens up a doorway that leads him to the ship that delivers them to the afterlife, to the gates of Osiris. It's interesting that Tawarit mentions that she hasn't run into people in quite some time. So I guess this is not the standard way that people pass into the afterlife. But she takes it all in stride, even though she's a little surprised to see two people here, because of course these are just there's two split personalities. And she pulls out their hearts to weigh them on the scale. Both hearts. <laughs> she actually wor- worries that she might have killed them inadvertently because she's never done this with two hearts before. And the scales will not balance. Like we saw on Harrow's arm that one time, there's confusion here. And they start their journey on the ship. Guys, you got to balance these scales. And she says, you have this ship's journey to get things right. So you guys have to reconcile things amongst yourselves. And this is where the show really becomes a different show in many ways. And maybe a show it should have been more of, to be honest. And we see Mark guiding Stephen sometimes inadvertently, through memories of their childhood. We actually start in the near present. We see events that we've seen in this series. And then we see a pretty spooky cafeteria full of all the people that Mark has killed. Most of these people have been killed as part of Khonshu's vengeance. Although I'm sure some of these are probably from when Mark was a mercenary. They have, and we'll get around to it in this recap as well. I'll get around to it later. But they have minimized Mark's work as a mercenary before he worked for Khonshu. I'm not sure why, but we are finally seeing that origin, which I've been teasing multiple weeks now, the Moon Knight character. And in this room, 
confronted with these deaths, they think maybe this will be enough to balance those scales, but it isn't. And then we see a little boy. Mark does not want Stephen to follow the little boy. And we discover in this memory is that this was Mark's little brother. And this is very tragic. We see hints here, just hinted at, to the show's credit, they don't nail it too hard on the head, that they do play this Dr. Grant character, the Stephen Grant character, and they go exploring as if they are going into an Egyptian tomb. And there are some caves near where they live. And this younger brother's name is Randall, but it's raining. And as we've seen, unfortunately, in some actual news stories, when the rains come and there's water in those caves, those water levels can rise very quickly. But of course, Randall dies here in the flood, in the cave, but Mark survives. And this is the trauma of his childhood that leads to this fissure in his personas. His mother cannot forgive him for letting the younger brother die and blames him for it. And this whole sequence is really brutal. We see his 10th birthday, I believe it is, and his mother will not celebrate it with him. He celebrates it alone with his father. And he moves from year to year, by the way, interestingly, using the staircases in the house, kind of elaborate set of a, an apartment, I believe somewhere in New York, I'm guessing. But we've seen this staircase, by the way, in the credit sequence, which comes at the end of the show. It's a beautiful credit sequence, by the way. If you haven't actually watched it all the way through, I do recommend. And you start seeing how all of those symbols that we see in that credit sequence ties into the show as be basically being uh, prefaced there. And then he goes to another floor and he sees his 11th birthday party. His mom will not celebrate it with him. And as a matter of fact, comes out and berates him, attacks him again for having let his brother die. This is now years later, you have to think. And the mom basically never ever forgave him for this. Really tragic when you think about it. I mean, obviously a very difficult situation. I cannot even imagine how sad it is to lose a child, but I can't help but criticize her for having lost another child as well, the relationship with her other child because of the one loss leading to another. But there's other things that Mark still doesn't want Stephen to see. And here we're, we're probably about halfway through the episode when we finally see that origin story. We see Mark and Stephen in the desert. They're reliving a memory of the massacre that killed Layla's father and all the other archaeologists that were with him and actually killed Mark as well. And during that massacre, he does climb back into the tomb that they were raiding where Kanshu takes possession of his body. Do you want life? I don't know. Your mind. I feel it. Fractured. Broken. Most fascinating. You are a worthy candidate to serve me during this time. In exchange for your life, do you swear to protect the travelers of the night and bring my vengeance to those who would do them harm? That sneaky old vulture. He was manipulating you from the start. No, I kept us alive. No, he was, he was taking advantage of you. Or it was just a way for me to keep being whatever I've been. A killer. And this is the origin story, by the way. This is what I was teasing from the very beginning. I was initially going to have, in the very first episode of this recap, a conversation about the origin in the comic books of Moon Knight. And just so you know, if you're not a f familiar with the mythology at all, this is the same origin story from the comic book. It strangely has taken five episodes to come around to it. <laughs> And it still is very barely fleshed out here. So I'm not sure why they've held it off this long, but it is beautifully done, by the way. Still visually, when you see just the images of Oscar Isaac dying and you hear Khonshu's voice and you just see the moonlight coming, streaming through these openings in this tomb, just highlighting uh, parts of the 
statue as if the statue was speaking to him. It's really, really beautifully done and visually distinctive in a way that oftentimes the show has not been that interesting. So Kanchu wants him to be the protector of the walkers of the night. Do you swear to protect the travelers of the night and bring my vengeance to those who would do them harm? And that's the promise he makes to Kanchu. And that's what's led him on this murderous path that he's been on, killing people that Kanchu deems irredeemable, which is interesting when you consider what Harrow is doing. It really does. I mean, Harrow has called this out himself, but it really does tie these two characters maybe closer to each other than they like to admit. And we see Moon Knight being created for the first time, the healing armor, bringing him back from death's door. After this flashback moment, we see that Steve and Mark, and Mark are back on the ship's deck, still on their journey to the gates of Osiris. But we start seeing here these white streaks crashing into the desert. These are the people who are being judged in life by Harrow. Now, it's happening not occasionally, it's happening very, very frequently, which makes me think that Amit has been raised already. And of course, that is the final confrontation that we're going to have to deal with in the next episode. Mark and Stephen want to get back to the body. Tawarit mentions that you're dead. Your body is dead. You're, you're not going to survive if I send you back. But they want to go back just so they can speak to Layla, give her a warning. So obviously things are very bad, but the scales are still not balanced. And part of that is the fact that Mark is still hiding. There's still something happening in that bedroom, in their memory, in their flashback. Mark is still hiding something from Stephen. And he continues to refuse to show him what that is. That actually makes him jump back into the psychiatric office of the asylum with Harrow, playing the psychiatrist here. And here's a moment where Mark can choose to reject the other reality. Interestingly here, I mean, this is probably all just happening in his mind. The Harrow character actually does guide him back into his memories where he makes his reconciliation with Stephen. Did Mark create Stephen or did Stephen create Mark? And that's where we finally see the memory that he's been hiding in that room. It is the creation of Stephen for the first time, a version of himself who could have an idealized version of his mother to hide from the fact that the mother was physically abusive to him. This is very sad. And I'm not sure the show can handle dealing with this trauma theme, given what the show has been up until this point. But like I mentioned before, as a standalone episode, this is very well done. And it's dealing with some pretty heady themes. I'm not sure if tying it together with this rest of this mythology is the best way to address this material. But as a standalone episode, I do think it's pretty strong. And this is very sad. Not only the loss of his brother, but then the abuse by his mother has caused this fracturing of his persona. And this is where Mark lets slip to Stephen that not only did they have this terrible relationship with the mother, but that she's not even alive. She's dead. And that explains all the way back in the earlier episodes when Stephen would be speaking to his mom and strangely never actually getting through to her, just leaving her voicemails. And now we know why. She's passed away. And actually, it's probably happened relatively recently. And that's probably why so much of this discombobulation of these controlled personas has started to happen in the timeline of the show. Once Stephen has this traumatic realization, he now ends up in the clinician's office with Harrow as a psychiatrist, and he calls him out on it right away. He's like, oh, I see, now you're a doctor. What's this? Stephen, I'm your doctor, remember? Oh, you're my doctor. I'm here to help you. Dr. Harrow, yeah, is it? That's right. Oh, yeah, look at that. Wow. Well, you've really gone up in the world, haven't you? I was beginning to worry we might never speak again. That's so strange. A little haircut, a little silly tash there. It's very Ned Flanders. I like your medical degree, which has no uh, university or date on it. Just, uh, hey, I'm a psychiatrist. I like him calling out the, the Ned Flanders look. This it's very much so very funny that he really does have a Ned Flanders look going, going here with this hairstyle. 
and the glasses and the mustache. So very funny. And this whole sequence is very strange. But I'm not sure how this whole Harrow thing is working, but it's very interesting to watch. But I'm not sure how what is being trying to be conveyed here exactly in the fact that we see Harrow messing with Stephen, telling him, you brought yourself here. After your mother passed, you checked yourself into an asylum. And Stephen starts to wonder if this is true or not. And he says, right, right after your mother died, which, of course, something he does not want to acknowledge, even after seeing that memory with Mark. And Harrow says, let me call her right now. You're right. She's still alive. Let me call her right now. And of course, that dichotomy of having to put the ear, the phone to his ear, and it forces him to acknowledge the fact that she has passed. A lot of tough love here, but actually pretty effective. So I assume this is all happening in his mind, and this is in some kind of manipulation by Harrow, the actual Harrow. So Harrow, in a way, just becomes a different aspect of himself, forcing himself to confront these truths. And this is when he finally has the actual memory, the memory of the Shiva, and he has to acknowledge the fact that his mom is passed. And this is the merging of the memories, Mark's memory, his collapse, waking up in New York City, saying, hey, I don't even know where I am. I'm, this, I'm at this strange place, uh, mom. Do you know where I might be? And this is the, the split that has happened, basically, most recently. This is a nice scene here. Props to Oscar Isaac for playing two characters, literally feeling like two different people interacting with each other. And Stephen forgives Mark, tells him that it wasn't his fault. This is it. Mom's death and Shiva two months ago. This was the moment our lives started bleeding into um, each other. Milwaukee. Milwaukee. I, I couldn't. I just couldn't, I couldn't face that again. All the things I'd done. Mark. All those horrible things that she said to you. She was wrong. It wasn't your fault. I shouldn't have brought him in that cave. I shouldn't have brought him in the cave. Hey. He was just a child. It wasn't your fault. Children make mistakes, and that he's sorry that the mother did what he did to him. Meanwhile, they've arrived at the gates of Osiris, so they're jumping back out of this kind of memory plane back to the deck of the ship, but the scales have yet not balanced. And the zombie dead, basically these people that Mark has killed in the past who happen to be on the wrong side of the scales, climb onto the ship, and are pulling Mark down to Duat. Stephen tries to shake them off the boat, but that doesn't work. So he picks up a bat. He likes cricket better than baseball and is able to defeat a bunch of these guys. So he has his heroic moment and Mark gives him a smirk of approval. But unfortunately, this is the end of Stephen. He gets pulled down by some of these same creatures, falls into the sand and becomes one of these sand statues trapped now in Duat. But this balances the scales for Mark. Strangely enough, that the persona that's probably committed most of these infractions is the one that finds balance and ends up in this heavenly golden field beyond the gates of Osiris. And that is the end of the episode. What a crazy cliffhanger to leave the show on. Mark has found this peace, this heavenly peace, and the world is aflame as people are being judged in their lives by Harrow and Amit. So obviously, this is not the end of the line. Next episode, will need to deal with the consequences of all these actions. Okay, so how did I feel about all this? I thought this was a, the best episode of this show by far. It's waited late into its run to get to some of these best episodes. And if I'm going to be critical here, I would say this episode should have come earlier in the run. 
And maybe we could have had more action at the end, maybe see more of Moon Knight, because we're only going to have one episode of Moon Knight action, and I assume that's next week. And I mean, we still have to resolve a whole bunch of things before Moon Knight can emerge. So we'll have, and this is something Nick was critical of last week, and I agree, we're going to have even less time for any of this Moon Knight action to even occur. A mystery that still remains here, by the way, is the third persona. Possibly in this very episode, we see Oscar Isaac with the bandage across the bridge of his nose. And is this yet another persona? Possibly, because there is definitely another persona here hidden from both Mark and Steven in this specific episode. So the question remains, where is that persona? Why did they not make themselves seen? Why is there balance in these personas here at the very end? Although there are at least, there is at least one more persona. We know it's been teased multiple times that stuff has happened that both Mark and Steven were not aware of. So there's definitely another persona out there. And maybe, like I mentioned, we've seen him here. We have definitely, uh, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say we've definitely seen him at other points in the show, but I do not believe we've seen this character except for potentially here. Because when we jump back to Mark inside the asylum, he does not have the tape across the bridge of his nose. So does that mean we saw a different persona? And will that third persona, or even who knows, maybe there's even more, tie into what happens in the finale? Will Layla offer herself up as Kanshu's next avatar, now that she knows this, Will she go rescue Kanshu and turn into Moon Knight in the next episode? And then possibly, does Steven take it back from her yet again to save her from this outcome that he's been trying to prevent this from happening, obviously. So he's not going to be happy if she does end up becoming the avatar for Kanshu. He may have to reclaim that mantle to save her from the same fate. So that's what I think is going to happen. I, I can't imagine him just springing back to life at the beginning of the next episode. And yet, we do need Kanchu to fight Amit. So we've already introduced the fact that Layla could be the next Avatar. So maybe that happens. But then Steven negotiates with Kanchu to have him transferred back into his body. So if I had to guess, that's more or less what we're going to see next week. I hope it's another strong episode. Last week's episode, pretty strong. This week's episode, even stronger. Can they finish on a high note? I would be happy to see that happen. And I will reserve my final judgment as to whether this show is worth watching or not overall, to be honest with you, on next week's episode. But I am turning my downward pointing, slightly downward pointing thumb on this, my slightly thumbs down to maybe a slightly thumbs up. Really depends on that next episode. So next Wednesday, the finale of Moon Knight. And as I mentioned earlier, check this feed, this same episode, I should say, later in the week, Thursday or Friday, you should see an update where I run through all of this with Nick, and we also discuss the latest episode of Better Call Saul. So please do catch up on that show. Also, check out We Own This City, really fascinating story that is a true story, by the way, from the creators of The Wire, one of my favorite shows of all times. Many people agree with that, I'm sure. Many of you out there agree with that, I'm sure. So if you were not aware of that, check that out. And check out Friday or Saturday, I will have a review roundup of so many, so many things that have come out this week, and maybe a little conversation about what's going on with Netflix. You may have heard about that huge stock price collapse this week, and I'll give you my opinions on that as well. Okay, so I'll talk to you soon, and I hope you're catching up on much, much great TV content out there. Talk to you soon. We're insane, Steven. Talking hippo, talking dead bird, you're outside of my body now. And now the afterlife, right? That's what... 
Mark. That's the reality. Mark. And this is the hospital. That's the imagination. Sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Dr. Harrow's right. Dr. Harrow? This is an organizing principle. 